So I need to have his, pretend this is a movie theater. Sometimes if we pretended it was a movie theater, we wouldn't move. <laughs> we just wouldn't move. Getting a, a drink of water is, would not be so important. Some of you don't use the restroom the whole movie because you don't want to miss anything. Pretend it's a movie theater today. You don't want to miss nothing. Amen? Luke chapter 23, and we're going to read from verse 44 to 47. And it reads like this. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to have the video. Peter is asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilified. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying, but they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. Judas is betraying, but Sundays coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilified. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sunday's are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scars. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. 
and his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands God, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. Friday and Sunday's here. Amen. I saw that and I said, oh, I, I just, I just love the way that it depicted uh, the last three days. But what I want to talk to you about and share with you this morning about is what we just sang about. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. One of the most complicated pieces of machinery in the world is the hand. Take a look at your hand just for a moment. We take it for granted because it's there every day. And it does all the things that we want it to do. Your hand is one of the most delicate, but it's one of the most complex parts of your body. There are six different muscle groups in your hand. Over 65 different muscles. 27 bones are in there. 35 joint nerves. Blood vessels, ligaments, all working together in complete harmony so that you can do things like open up your Bible or go get your Starbucks this morning. Real simple. 
got all of these things working with you. It's too complicated for scientists to perfectly reproduce with machines. They don't know how to do it. They, they try, but they cannot perfectly reproduce a hand. If you compared your hands to the person next to you, you'll notice there's a little bit of difference, but they look the same. They're generally the same. If you've ever felt pain, or if you've, you've ever felt intense sorrow or deep distress in your life, one of the things that we do is we start moving our hands. We squeeze them together until the knuckles are white. Or maybe we fold them or we begin to wring our hands because we don't know what to do. Or, or maybe we just stick them in our pocket because they're shaking and we don't know how to control them. On the day that Jesus was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was overwhelmed with sorrow. He felt devastated. And he fell to the ground, put his hands together, and he prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Can you take this cup from me? Can you take this suffering from me? But if you can't, then I'll do it. I'll do it. Jesus knew how horrible it was going to be to grab with his hands the cup of suffering and drink it down. He knew that he was going to have to take a hold of it with his hands. All the sins of the world, all the filth, all the selfishness, all the rebellion of the world was going to be in that cup that he was going to have to drink. And all the eternal punishment that came along with it. So for Jesus to take his hands, those clean, perfect hands, and even to touch the cup, let alone drink it, that cup of filthy sin, that cup of terrible suffering, it was a horrible thing for him to even consider. But if there was only another way, haven't we been like that? We always want to find out an easier way to do what needs to be done. And, ease, and this, even Jesus said, is there another way to get this done? Is there another way that I don't have to drink this cup, that I don't have to take on the sins of the world? But he said, nope, there's no other way. This is it. No other way. Jesus didn't shake his fist at God and say, why did you do this to me? Like we do. He submitted to the will of his heavenly father and he just folded his hands in prayer. What an out of the ordinary picture we see in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see the most powerful man in the world on his face with his hands folded pleading with God. This is the same Jesus who used his hands to still the storms, who used his hands to cast demons out of people, who used his hands to heal diseases, who used his hands <coughs> to reproduce food for thousands. He used his hands to even raise people from the dead. And now, here he is in the garden. Tells everybody, put your swords away. And he takes his hands 
and he drinks that cup, that cup of suffering that his father had prepared for him. And then he holds out his hands and he allows the mob to tie him up and lead him away to trial. Eventually, those same hands would carry a cross. They would become weak. He would drop the cross. He would fall to the ground. But those same hands of our Lord would be held down. They would be pierced with nails. They would bleed until there was no more life in those hands. How strange and yet how amazing that these things would happen to the most powerful man in the world. When Jesus was on the cross and he was dying, Luke tells us that he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. You were to read Psalm 31.5. It's the same scripture, only it doesn't have the word Father. It just has, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the reason that it's in the book of Psalms is because this was actually a prayer that all Jewish mothers would teach their children to say right before they went to bed. There are some moms today who teach their children, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's what some mothers teach their children today. But back in Old Testament days, they used to teach them this prayer. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying when he was ready to die, into your hands, Father, Daddy, I commit my spirit. And what he was saying while he was hanging on the cross is he was saying, I have a relationship with my dad. I have a relationship with my father. And it is so close and it is so intense that I'm going to pray a good night prayer. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. I'm ready to go to sleep now. I'm ready for my life to be over. He didn't say the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. He said, no, into your hands, I commit my spirit. There is a saying that says, the way one lives is the way one dies. How are you living today? How will you die tomorrow? There's a story about a man who was very successful in the deli business. He had stores all over the country. And on his deathbed, the top executives from his company came and they surrounded his bed because they wanted to hear the last words of wisdom from this man. He had built an empire, a deli empire, and he was going to give them everlasting wisdom from his deathbed. And with his dying breath, this man said, slice the ham thin. Those were his words of wisdom to his top executives. The way he lived was the way he died. Passion for his business. And this was the way Jesus lived. And this was the way he died. In relationship with his father. 
consistently. His last words were to his father. It wasn't to his mother. It wasn't to his disciples. It wasn't to the thieves at the cross. It wasn't to anyone else. His absolute last words were to his dad. What do hands say today? Well, first, hands say trust. Jesus is saying into your hands. It's, it's a saying that says, I trust you. I'm going to put my life in your hands. Christ had no problem putting his life and his spirit into his father's hands because he knew that they were better hands than anybody else. That he could give his life into his father's hands. He knew that he could trust his father. When I was little, I remember my father putting me on a ledge. I must have been about three or four, and I remember so clearly. He put me on this ledge, and he said, jump. And I remember looking at him. It, 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 you know, some of you can remember things like that. And I remember that I looked at him, and I jumped. And then he got me, and he put me back up, and I jumped. And pretty soon, it was kind of like, whoa, this is cool. I could jump, and he'll always catch me. But what it was is that I trusted him. I trusted him to jump. And every time I jumped, he caught me. So what did I do when, with my kids? When my kids were little, I did the same thing with them. My son and my daughter, Esteban and Stephanie, they were the risk takers in the family. <laughs> they still are. They never hesitated to jump. You know, some of your kids, how you didn't have, have, you didn't even have to teach them to jump. They just got on a ledge and they jumped. And I remember one time that Stephanie jumped before I told her to jump. And she surprised me. I put her up there and I got distracted. And um, I think someone called my name. And I just put her, but she was supposed to wait for me to tell her. And she didn't wait. And out of the corner of my eye, I see her. She's flying at me. <laughs> She's like, Ma! In mid-flight, I looked, I saw her, and I caught her. But I caught her, like, off balance because I wasn't prepared for her. And so I fell down with her. And she thought it was funny. She laughed. She was like, let's do it again. I hurt myself. I was hurt and she laughed. But the point is that she trusted me enough that she knew I wasn't going to let her fall. She knew that I was going to take care of her somehow, some way. That's the kind of trust that we need to have for God. The kind of trust that says, here's my life. I can trust you with it. We can put every part of our life into his hands because there is not no one more trustworthy than him. The Allstate commercial slogan is, you're in good hands with Allstate. We're the good hands people. You ever had an insurance company be your good hands? I don't think so. I'm here to tell you that their hands do not come anywhere near being as trustworthy as the hands of our Father. There are people who are afraid to put their life in God's hands. People even here this morning, you've been afraid to put your life into God's hands. 
You're scared because you're not sure what God is going to have you do. You're like, well, what if I give him my life and, and then he sends me to Africa? It's not going to do that. Or maybe you haven't put your life in God's hands because of what he's going to ask you to give up. I don't want to give this little thing that I got going here. I mean, I get paid underneath the table good money. I don't want to all of a sudden start being honest. I don't want to give my life to him because then that means I have to give up this girlfriend that I got on the side or this boyfriend or this little secret affair or I got to give up the pornographic computer thing that I got going. I don't want to give things up like that. I want to just give a, a Sunday morning. I want to hear just a little message, you know, where I could, you know, do my duty to God and my country and say I did my two-hour thing and I'm out. But we don't want to commit our life because our life would mean that I can't have that little drink of wine. I can't have that, you know, that beer that I, when I relax. I don't want to give up all that stuff. So I don't want to give my life. I'll just say hello. Come late, leave early. Don't get connected. Others won't put their hands, their lives in, in the hands of God because they're not ready to take their hands off the steering wheel. You want to be in charge of where you're going. Because if I let God steer me, oh man, he's going to have me here all the time. That's not absolutely true. It'll be true if you want it. If you don't, then it won't. Jeremiah 29:11 says, for I know the thoughts that I have for you, the thoughts of good and not of evil, to bring you to an, un to an expected end, thoughts to prosper you, not to harm you, thoughts to give you hope in the future. He's not going to take you anywhere you don't want to go. It's like Fred Flintstone. You're putting on the brakes. And God is saying, the plans that I have for you, they're good. I'm not going to take you down a road that is going to harm you. That's not me. I can see up ahead. I know where I'm taking you. Trust him with your life. Because that scripture isn't just for Jeremiah. It's for every single one of us. He has a plan for our lives that's going to benefit us. And it's going to bring hope to our lives. But some of us are so set in the direction that we're going in that we refuse to put our lives in God's hands and to see everything that he has for us. Isaiah 65.2 says, All day long I have held out my hands to a rebellious people who walk in their own ways, pursuing their own imaginations. See, that happens today. God is holding out his hands and he's saying, put your life in my hands. You can trust me. You can trust me. But instead, people continue to pursue their own desires and their own wants and their own imaginations. Some of you are here this morning and you probably say, well, you know what? I've seen people. I know people who have trusted God. And they put their lives in God's hands and then bad things happen to them. And I don't want to do that. 
Because if I put my life in God's hands, I know something bad is going to happen to me. How do you know something bad's not going to happen to you if you don't put your life in God's hands? I'm going to tell you that there's, there's an element of truth to that. When you put your life in God's hands, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have bad things happen to you. The world is full of tragedy, and it's full of people, and Christians are not exempt from tragedy. Just because you're a Christian, does that mean that everything is going to go rosy? I don't think so. Do you think that you're going to live a, a great life and nobody's ever going to criticize you? Nobody's ever going to talk about you? You're going to live a full life to 100, full health. You got your kids who love you and they're backing you up. You got your spouse who just loves you to death. You think that's all going to happen? No. Just because you're a Christian, not everything is rosy. But I'll tell you what we got. We have a God who gives us the strength that we need and a God who promises us. He promises us in Romans 8, 28. That he works everything, everything, everything out together for good to them that love him and to them that are called according to his purpose. I can tell you that my life hasn't been rosy. It hasn't been always fun. It's been filled with crises. It's been filled with tragedies. It's been filled with pain. It's been filled with grief. But guess what? I have a God who strengthens me. I have a God who encourages me. I have a God who pushes me on. That means that even when we have tragedy and it strikes our life, that God will take that tragedy and he'll turn it around. Friday may be here. You may be going through the Friday pain of life. You may be going through that Friday grief, that Friday betrayal, that Friday criticism, that Friday isolation. But Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. God uses all of those things in our life to shape us to be more like him. Like him. We don't know what he's going to do with that tragedy how he's going to work it out for good. Sometimes we look at something and we say, how could anything good come out of this? How? The person that comes to mind is Johnny Erickson Tata. She was 18 years old. She was up with a whole bunch of friends, and they were all jumping off a bridge into the river. And she decided to jump head first. And where she jumped was only three feet. She injured her spinal cord, 18 years old. She was totally 100% paralyzed. And you could look at someone like that and say, she's got her whole life ahead of her. What good could come out of this? How could God allow this? What good is it going to be for a young girl, 18 years old, never been married, didn't even have a boyfriend, absolutely beautiful. Now she's going to be in a wheelchair. She can't even push herself. She can't bathe herself. She can't brush her teeth. She can't comb her hair. She can't put makeup on. She can't get dressed. Anything on her own. What good could come out of that? And I'll tell you who she is today.
It's been about 30 years since that tragedy happened. 30 years later, she's married and has been married for the last 25 years. She not only is married, but one day, see, the only thing that she can do is talk. She can't move anything else. She can't do anything. And one day, she was feeling sorry for herself, like all of us would feel sorry for ourselves if we were in that situation. And one day, the Lord spoke to her, and he told her, stop feeling sorry for yourself. And she goes, well, I can't do anything. I'm just a vegetable. I can only see and hear and talk. What can I do with my life? And he said, put a pencil in your mouth. Put a pencil in my mouth. Put a pencil in your mouth and draw. And I will tell you something. She has become one of the most artistic women of today. She paints absolutely beautiful. She draws cards. She draws paintings. She does it all with her mouth. Had that tragedy not happened, do you think she would have ever put a pencil in her mouth and said, I think I'm going to draw with my mouth today? I don't think so. I don't think so. God turns everything, everything, everything around for good. Just like David said, blessed is the man or blessed is the man or woman who makes the Lord their trust. This morning would be a great morning for you to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because if you say it, and if you really mean it, I guarantee you, you will not be sorry. Secondly, not only do hands, are they trustworthy, but they are also opportunities for comfort. Hands bring us comfort. They soothe, they console, they reassure. What's the first thing you do when you greet somebody? You use your hands. I was, as I was studying, I have my little um, dog, and, and I was just thinking about dogs and, and, and how they are. What is the first thing you do to a dog when you go up to an unfamiliar dog? You put out your hand and you let him smell you. You don't just stand there. You don't get scared because you give off this certain aroma. They can tell when you're scared. So you give them your hand and you let them smell. Why your hand? Because this is the instrument that is used to comfort. It is instrument that is used to greet. It's an instrument that says, this is who I am. You could have a fish handshake. You ever shake somebody with a fish? It's like, you know, it's like, come on. Where's Amanda? Amanda knows how to shake. <laughs> Amanda will break your arm. <laughs> she can shake. Jesus knew that in the hands of his father, he would find rest. In the midst of all that he was going through, he knew that he could find comfort in the hands of his father. That reassurance, everything's going to be okay. And sometimes when we're going through things, don't we all want to be around somebody who just puts their arms around us and they pat us and they say, it's going to be okay. 
He was comforted in knowing that the sufferings of this present time were not worthy to be compared with the glory which was going to be revealed. Hands bring comfort. Parents, do not, do not use these hands of comfort and these hands of soothing to whack your kids. These are not instruments of punishment. They are instruments of love. That's why we have them, so that we can eat and we can love, not slap, not cut, not do anything else. If you need to discipline, use something else. Use a chunkler. <laughs> use something else. Just do not use your hands. When I was raising my children, um, I, I would have, uh, it was like a, fat old, you know, like a little paddle, and, um, and it, it would you'd hang there, because I mean, I had three little ones, and I would call it my attitude adjustment. <laughs> and when they were acting up, I go, oh, I think I need to go get my attitude adjustment. Oh, no, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. Are you sure? Because this will change your attitude really quick. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. So I, it was a, just a little attitude adjustment, you know. It, it, would, it helps. But don't use your hand. Your hands are not the things to slap or push or hit in any way, shape, or form. And thirdly, hands bring security. How great it is to know about the strength of the hands of God. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We're in his hands. He welcomed the security of hands. Jesus said not only can you comfort me not only can, you can I trust you but I can also know that there's security in your hands. You see, when Jesus was in the hands of man, when he was in the hands of the mob for those last 18 hours of his life, with their hands, they arrested him illegally. With their hands, they stripped him naked. With their hands, they whipped him until flesh came off of his bones. With their hands, they beat him unmercifully all night long. With their hands, they plucked his beard hair by hair. With their hands, they slapped him until he was blue in the face. With their hands, they punched him until he was unrecognizable. With their hands, they jammed a crown of thorns down on his head. With their hands, they placed a robe of mockery on his shoulders. With their hands, they nailed him to the cross. See, wicked hands did all they could to defeat Jesus but now Jesus remembers when he's on the cross, I know in whose hands I am commended to. I know in whose hands I'm actually in. He knows he's returning to the tender hands of his father. So he says the last thing before he goes, the last thing before he used to go to sleep is the last thing he says on the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit. If you want to experience peace, then you need to be able to say, 
just like Jesus. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But some of you are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not ready to die. He said that when he was dying. I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to say those words. Well, let's look at it this way. If you got bill collectors calling you and you're struggling to make it, or you're going to work every day and your finances are just not making ends meet, then you need to be able to say, Father, into your hands I commit my finances. Maybe you're having problems with your children because the enemy wants to destroy them. He knows that they're the future for carrying on the word of God. And so he wants to come and he wants to destroy the family. So what you need to do is you need to be able to... Go before God and say, into your hands, I commit my children. Someone may be saying, well, you don't understand. I'm confused. I'm discouraged. I'm empty. I'm lonely. I'm mad at God. I'm upset with the circumstances in my life. I'm hurt, and I have a deep void inside. There's so much pain. I don't know what I can do. I'm going to blow it. I know I'm going to blow it. Then what you need to say is, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, I commit my mind, I commit my struggles, I commit my emptiness. I can't do this anymore. I'm depending on you to see me through. I've got to commit everything to you because I can't do this on my own. Into your hands, I commit my job, I commit my marriage, I commit my health, I commit my future. I commit everything to you because I can't do it on my own. I know that you have something better for me, God, because this life is tough. You said, you said that you came to give me life and life abundantly. That's what I want to have. That's what I want to experience. So when life hands you trials and the troubles that go with life, remember you're safe in his hands. Look at your hands again just for a moment. Can you see the sin in your hands? Probably not, but it's there. All of us were born with hands that are covered with sin. And as we live our lives, our hands become dirtier and dirtier and dirtier because of all the sins that we commit. So you can't see it and you can't detect it even with a microscope, but it's there. That permanent stain of sin is on your hands. It's all over your hands. It's all over your spirit. It's all over your body. It's the most terrible disease that we can have, and it's called sin. But that's why Jesus came. He came. He was the only person ever born without sin. He was pure, a soul and body, completely sinless. And by humbling himself and sacrificing himself, he became a sacrifice for us. So you don't ever have to wonder, does Jesus really love me? Look at my life, my mistakes, my hardships, my difficulties. I'm being punished for my sins. God has turned his back on me. He stopped caring for me. It's not true. God has not withdrawn his loving hand from your life. Instead, he offers you his loving hand this morning. He's never going to stop caring for you. He's never going to turn his back on you. You've been forgiven, and you've been given eternal life. 
Now the hands of Christ will carry you through the absolute worst time of your life. It really will. You'll always be in good hands when you're with Christ. I'm going to close with this illustration. It says, some years back, before skin grafts were a common procedure, a certain girl throughout all her life was openly ashamed of the deep scars that covered both of her mother's hands. This girl was so ashamed of her mother's hands that she constantly insisted that her mother wear gloves whenever they went out in public so that she would not be embarrassed. This attitude on the daughter's part continued into her adult, her adult years, bringing daily heartbreak to her own mother. In this day, medical science had not yet discovered the cure for pneumonia. And her mother caught pneumonia, and she died. And while the body laid in state at the funeral parlor, the little girl's aunt called her aside and told her the reason that her mother had scars on her hands. She said, it happened when you were a little girl, and you were walking by the fireplace, and you lost your balance. And when you lost your balance, you fell into the fireplace, and your mother grabbed you. And she took you out of the fire. And she put the fire out with her own hands. And your mother developed scars from that fire. You were spared, but your mother was badly burned. And as the aunt finished the story, the girl broke out in uncontrollable weeping. And she ran toward the coffin that held her mother's body. She took the gloves off her mother's hands and she began kissing them again and again and again. The guilt that she had felt for years because she had ridiculed her mother. She had ridiculed the scarred hands. Now were hands that she kept kissing and she kept repeating. Those scars were for me. Those scars were for me. Turn your eyes to the video that we're going to watch right now. Lights, please.
stand with me this morning. And as every head bowed and every eye is closed, I want you to think about your hand today. This video depicted a lot of things. This hand cheats. This hand lies. This hand watches pornography. This hand had an, had an affair. This hand does nothing. Our hands represent a lot of things that we do, a lot of things that we're involved in. But the hands of Jesus, they represent trust. They represent security. They represent comfort. You can put your life into his, or you can try to continue to steer your life the way you want. I know it's going to be for your benefit to just give it all to the Lord this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I'd like to pray with you. If you'd like to be able to say, I want to put my life in his hands. I've been trying to do it on my own and it's a mess. And if you'd like to be able to commit your life this morning, commit your life into his hands. Would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you this morning. God bless you. 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 Many hands. God bless you. God bless you. Many, many hands. God bless you. Hallelujah. For the benefit of all of you who have raised your hand this morning, we're going to say a universal prayer for all of you. And we're all going to repeat the same prayer. Say, Jesus, this morning, I don't know you as my personal Savior, but I want to. I need to give you my life. I've made a mess of it, making my own decisions, going in the wrong direction, but I want to give you my life. My hands are stained with sin, but your hands were nailed to the cross so that those sins could be forgiven. Take my life, come into my heart. I believe that you died and you rose again on the third day. Use me. Change me. Comfort me. I want to be able to live my life for you. Into your hands, I commit my life. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who said that prayer, this is the first time you've ever accepted Christ. You've done the absolute most best thing that you could ever do. And I want to encourage you to stay here after the service. We'd like to be able to talk with you and, and to um, help you to understand what it is to serve God. But for the rest of you,
you know Christ, but you also know what your hands are representing this morning. You know what they stand for. And you know if you've been trusting him or not. You know if you've been allowing his love and his spirit to be your direction. And we're going to be taking communion this morning. But before we do, I want to give you time to make it right. And I'm going to open up the altars to give you an opportunity to make it right. If you look at your hands and you know what they stand for and you know what they represent, I want you to come this morning and I want you to make it right with God so that we can take communion this morning. And with your hands you made me with your heart. 